Greetings and salutations out there, sports fans all across the wide and wonderful internet. It is I, your humble and yet glorious host, Michael Shibley, with you here on another edition of Modern Day Gladiators. It's going to be the last show of 2018, but as always, we've got a huge show packed for you. We've got, of course, football galore. We've got Tennessee basketball and and all this good stuff, plus a tiny bit of shibbles and bits this year because we've got a special guest coming to talk wrestling and the year of professional wrestling here in the second half of the show so stick around for that but let's get right into it of course let's talk turkey real quick again this is modern day gladiators on the stage diver radio network and of course out there please like subscribe share you can check us out Anywhere you get your podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, wherever you want them, you got them, and we're there for you. Also, you can check out StageDiverRadio.com. Check out all the other great podcasts that we have there. Check me out on Facebook on the Modern Day Gladiators Facebook page where we post extra bits and news tidbits and live videos and different things like that. During the break, if any big news breaks or any of these big games go crazy, I will break in with some breaking news there. Share my thoughts on that platform, as well as on Instagram and Twitter, where you can catch me at Michael underscore Shibley. But the big news, as always, of course, like, share, subscribe, comment. We want to hear from you. And, of course, you can email us at stagediverradio at gmail.com or check out the hotline 865-888-0109. But let's dive into it. Of course, we're talking football. The NFL has moved up because, again, college football, we're into bowl games. I have gone 5-0 and on the bowl picks so far this season as of this recording, so quite proud of myself there. Hopefully UAB will get the win in the, I believe, the Boca Raton Bowl going on tonight as we're recording this to move me to 6-0 and so I can destroy the rest of my family members in the bowl picks. But let's talk NFL first, starting with, with my power rankings through Week 15 here. We are almost done with the NFL regular season. Number one, I've got the Saints back in the number one spot. They, of course, have already won their division in, uh, in the NFC, and they've got a 12-9 win over the Panthers. So they had to win that one with defense, but they did a great job doing that. So very excited to see that one going through there for the Saints. Meanwhile, the Chargers move up to the number two slot as they had that big win last Thursday night. 29-28 over the Chiefs, the comeback, and then the decision to go for two and the win with four seconds left. That was just a... Uh, just a ballsy call there, but they got it done. I give them all credits for that one. So they've moved up above the Chiefs, even though the Chiefs still have the tiebreaker in the division with all the different things going on with tiebreakers in the NFL. But I do have the Chargers number two in my power rankings. Number three, the Chiefs. Again, a secondary is a big issue with them. They're having some issues there. They do have Eric Berry back, which has been Good for them, but still, they're having some question marks on the back end of their defense. And a big question, of course, going forward as the season winds down and we get into the playoffs for both the Chargers and the Chiefs, can they close? That's the big one. They have had so many issues, both teams, in the playoffs, not being able to close. Andy Reid, especially as the coach of the Chiefs and with the Eagles, he's gotten to one Super Bowl, got to a lot of conference championship games but just not able to get over the hump consistently so we'll see what happens with both of these teams whoever has home field might have that advantage of course the Chiefs 
I still want to keep calling them, not the Chiefs, the Chargers. I still want to call them the San Diego Chargers, even though they haven't been in San Diego for two years. Still want to call them that. So we'll see how the fans there in that soccer, pretty much a 20,000-seat soccer stadium is where the Chargers are playing their football right now. So we'll see how that all transpires. I've got the Rams down at number four now. They, uh, you know, even with two straight losses, including one to the Bears, they still, I have them over the Bears. The Bears I've got at number five with a division win. The Rams, of course, division champs out there. But, and the Rams, they've lost two straight games. Once again, to the Bears, though, that was in Soldier Field with uh, cold weather and different things there. And then the Rams, this is the big one where they lose against the Philadelphia Eagles, who are a team fighting for their playoff lives. They have a very little chance of getting in, but they're trying to keep winning. So the Rams, I don't know what's going on with their offense. Are they just running into some things? We'll have to see come playoff time, but I still have them as a top team in my power rankings. I mentioned the Bears. They just keep winning. They beat the Packers, so they have won their division for the first time in since I think about 2010, so they're back into the playoffs with the Chicago Bears just playing more of a whole team thing. They're relying on that defense, which is good because defense does travel a lot better than offense does, but we got to see if they're going to be able to score points when they really need to come clutch time in the playoffs. Houston still continuing to just win and turn their season around. It was a real rough start to the season, but they've turned it around doing very well. In the AFC, the Patriots, even though I still have them just above the Steelers in my seventh spot in the power rankings, even though they lost at Pittsburgh, people are already ready to shovel dirt on the Patriots. This is the first time, I think, in about 16 years they've had two losses in December. So people are kind of worried. I'm not going to put dirt on the Patriots until they're just out of the playoffs. I'm never going to count the Patriots out as long as Tom Brady and Bill Belichick are still there. The Steelers moving their way back in, feeling more comfortable in hopefully trying to get back into the playoffs. So they round out my top eight in my NFL power rankings. Looking to the playoff picture, we go to the AFC. The Chiefs, they're in the number one spot right now. If the playoffs ended, uh, and they are a clinched a playoff spot, so they're in. But right now, they've got the number one seed. The Texans would hold the two seed. Patriots three, Steelers four as the division leaders right now. The Chargers are in the number five seed, which sucks because they have the second best record uh, tied with the Chiefs. But the fact that the Chiefs hold the tiebreaker, I really wish in the NFL, and I know they had mentioned this before, but they still haven't moved to it. Just seed them based on record. You get the division champs in. That's fine. You still win the division, you should still get into the playoffs. But if you've got a wild card team, like the Chargers have a far better record than the Patriots or the Steelers right now, put them up in one of those top spots. It You should be rewarded for still having a good season, even if you didn't win your division. And then right now, the Ravens are in the sixth seed right now because at 8-6, and six, they hold the tiebreaker over the Colts and the Titans, who are both at eight and six, though the Colts and the Titans are also playing really good football right now. These three teams are the really the ones battling out for that final spot in the playoffs. The Ravens kind of, especially with the Steelers beating the Patriots, the Steelers are in the driver's seat in that division. So right now it looks like the Ravens 
only hope might be getting in in that wild card spot. But you look, the Ravens have to travel out to Los Angeles to play the Chargers week 16, which is not good for them. Meanwhile, the Colts have to host the Giants and the Titans host the Redskins. So the Colts and Titans definitely have an easier game week 16. We'll see. The Colts and the Titans, meanwhile, then play each other week 17 with a playoff spot probably on the line. So that could be very entertaining football here. At least there'll be one game of interest to play in week 17 because sometimes there's nothing good to play for there. Meanwhile, out in the NFC, the Saints, Rams, and Bears have all won their divisions and they are in the playoffs. Meanwhile, you've got, um, and the Bears are at 10 and 4, the Rams at 11 and 3, the Saints at 12 and 2. The Saints have the number one seed and they've got a full game lead over the Rams plus the tiebreaker. So they're up there. Meanwhile, the Rams have a one game lead over the Bears for home field. Uh, advantage at least in the divisional round but the Bears do have the tiebreaker with the Rams so if the Rams drop one and the Bears win out the Bears get the two seed the Cowboys at eight and six pretty much if they win I think if they win one more game they are pretty much in the playoffs they just decided to get shut out by the Colts this last week which was odd I was very strange about that the Seahawks could have gotten in with a win over my beloved 49ers but the Niners Decided to play some foot, good football and come back and beat the Seahawks in overtime in San Francisco. First time they'd beaten the Seahawks, I think, in nine tries. So it was good to see that. Good for Richard Sherman to get a little bit of revenge on his old club. Uh, the Seahawks, I believe, win over. Now they got to play the Chiefs next week, but then they've got the terrible Arizona Cardinals, who are probably going to get the first uh, pick in next year's draft. If they win one of those games, the Seahawks are in in the wild card. And then the Vikings, if they win out at 7-6-1, they are in. The Eagles and Redskins need the Vikings to lose at least one game and then win out to get in. So that's your look at the NFL as we get down to crunch time and playoff time. Always love this time of year and seeing who's really going to stand up and who's the hot team getting in to the playoffs because we've seen wild card teams now make a run and get there to the Super Bowl and a lot of times win it. So we'll see what happens there. Can the Eagles rebound? Will the Vikings choke it away? Can the Redskins figure themselves out? We'll see what happens there. Meanwhile, college bowl games, of course, we've gotten them underway. I've already mentioned I have won the first five bowl games. I was correct in all of those. So at least I can pat myself on the back. It's the early bowl games. Half the time you're just guessing, really, with which teams have players that are wanting to play, who's got coaching changes, all those big things. But right so far, let's take a look at some of the big bowl games. We'll make some big predictions here. The first one I'm going to talk about, not a big bowl game, more of a big disappointment bowl game when you look at it. The Pinstripe Bowl happening in Yankee Stadium, which is a great place to do Yankee Stadium in December in Brooklyn. That's always fun. It's the Miami Hurricanes and the Wisconsin Badgers. This is really the big disappointment bowl when it comes down to things because of the fact that both Miami and Wisconsin were slated to do big things. They were both top 10 preseason picks to get into and make a run for the college football playoff. Wisconsin, I had them. Many of you listen to this show. I had Wisconsin in my college football playoff as a Big Ten champ, and that didn't happen. Both of them have just had a rough patch, just disappointing ends to the season. Miami at least got a couple wins at the end of the season, but Wisconsin, whew, that uh, 
They lost. They got blown out by Minnesota. It was not good. But I am picking Wisconsin to get the win in this game just because they are better at playing in the cold. And Jonathan Taylor, the Doak Walker Award for best running back of the year. I still like him a lot. I think he'll have a good final game with Wisconsin. Meanwhile, you take a look at some of the big, big bowl games, the New Year's Six as you wheel. The Peach Bowl, number 10 Florida against Michigan. This one comes down to Michigan right now is the favorite when you look at it, but when you check things out, you've got to see what Michigan's mindset is after getting blown out when it's a game they should have and had all the tools to win it, and they just could not get it done against Ohio State in their season finale. And meanwhile, Florida is playing some really good football. Felipe Franks is playing combined the best football he's played the last few games. So I'm going to go with the Florida Gators as much as I don't want to. I've got the Florida Gators winning that one. Meanwhile, the college football playoff games, the semifinals, Notre Dame-Clemson in the Cotton Bowl. I've got Clemson getting that one. I think Clemson is by far the better team up and down the card. I think their defense is phenomenal. That defensive line is awesome. It's been awesome all season long. And I just think they've got more playmakers. Notre Dame, again, with Book at quarterback, has been a better team overall. But I still think Clemson's going to take care of Notre Dame quite easily, especially if any other time when Notre Dame was on a big national stage like this a few years ago when they played Alabama in the national championship game and Alabama took them behind the woodshed and beat them down. So I'm going with Clemson to get the win in advance to the final. And in the Orange Bowl, Oklahoma-Alabama, It boils down really to this. Oklahoma doesn't play defense. Alabama also has a good offense, and they play some defense. So I've got Alabama getting the win in that one. I do think there's extra motivation because, again, Tua Tugavailoa did not win the Heisman, so I think that's going to motivate them, even though why would you even need that? You're playing in the college football playoff. I've got Alabama getting the win. I do think Tua is going to play. I think he's going to start. I think he'll be healed up in time for that one. But Jalen Hurts, still pretty good backup when all things considered. I do have Alabama taking care of Oklahoma in that one. Some of the other New Year's Six Bowl games happening on New Year's Day. You've got the Fiesta Bowl. You've got LSU and Central Florida. I do think this is where Central Florida's winning streak comes to an end. Yes, Central Florida did beat Auburn last year, but Auburn, again, disappointed of being left out of the college football playoff and everything that happened with them. I've got LSU getting it. I think they're going to be motivated. Also, Central Florida does not have Mackenzie Milton. That, again, horrifying and terrible leg injury that he had, that was just bad. And they did rally and win their conference championship game, so I give them credit for doing that. But I've still got LSU getting the win. I think it's a better team uh, that they're facing in that one. The Citrus Bowl, you've got Kentucky and Penn State. As much and a great season as the Wildcats have, even though Tennessee did beat down the Wildcats in Neyland Stadium, which is one of the bright spots of Tennessee's season so far this year, you have to consider Penn State and all their seniors and everybody there. I think they're going to go out with a good win in that one. I've got the Nittany Lions getting the win. In that one, Trace McSorley wrapping up his career, I think, in style in the Citrus Bowl against Kentucky. The Rose Bowl, uh, doing my terrible Keith Jackson impersonation, the Rose Bowl game, the granddaddy of them all, whoa, Nelly. You've got the number nine Pac-12 champion Washington Huskies against the Big Ten champs left out of the playoff, Ohio State Buckeyes. It's apparently 
going to be Urban Meyer's last game. I still don't believe he's fully retiring, so take that as you will. I do think they're going to play hard for him. I do have Ohio State getting the win in that one. The Sugar Bowl, Texas versus Georgia. I know, of course, Chase and Terry of the Halfle Podcast still upset that Georgia was not able to get the win over Alabama and get into the playoff, but I do think they're going to play hard, even though it does look like Joshua Fields, the last year's number one recruit, is exploring his transfer options. He's not officially announced that he's transferring, but he's thinking about it which was tough because, again, a lot of people thought he was the number one recruit in the country, the best quarterback last year coming out of high school, and he did get used. He got used a fair amount, and I think they tried to do some plays to help keep him happy and keep him motivated to stay, but it looks like he may be thinking about transferring because Jake Fromm is definitely the leader of the Georgia team so far. They even put Fields in in that fake punt, which, again, and I mentioned on the show when we talked about it, that was a big red alert. Hey, hey, something's weird because we've got Fields in here in a punt formation. Something weird is happening, and I think they did that to keep him happy, and then that didn't happen because I think if they had punted the ball, I think Georgia would have had him, and of course hindsight being what it is, I still think Georgia would have had a much better chance of winning that game had they not faked that punt and just punted Alabama deep and made Alabama try and drive the field to get uh, get to the win there. And meanwhile, in the national championship game, if my picks in the Cotton and Orange Bowl hold true, it'll be Clemson versus Alabama for the fourth year in a row. Of course, last year they met in the semifinal. Uh, the two years prior, they did meet in the championship game. I've got Alabama getting the win. I know I've picked Clemson before, but just as the season has gone on and all the data, I think Alabama has played a tougher schedule. I think they've got better playmakers everywhere so far. I've just got to go with Alabama as much as I don't want to because, again, true Tennessee fan cannot stand Alabama at all, but I'm going to go with the Crimson Tide winning the national championship. And, of course, we'll recap that all after the break. Uh the next couple of weeks here on Modern Day Gladiators. But let's move real quick as we finish up this main segment with a little Tennessee Vol report. Always love this. The Tennessee-Memphis rivalry renewed itself after a six-year hiatus. By the way, shame on all of the people involved who just did not, mostly Josh Pastor, the former coach there at Memphis, and not wanting to play this rivalry. This is a great rivalry game. Going back to Bruce Pearl and Jim Calipari, the, you know, the number one versus number two matchup. But just the fact that this rivalry was not played, it does great for this state. This is a great basketball state. It might not be, of course, has the publicity that North Carolina or Indiana and some of these places have, but Tennessee has a great basketball tradition. We've talked about this, especially what, of course, with the Lady Vols with Pat Summit, but Ray Mears and Bruce Pearl and these guys made Tennessee a very great place to play basketball and a very dangerous place to play at Thompson Bowling Arena. And the fact that this was in Memphis... There were some people in the media who were at the Memphis Grizzlies game the night before this game happened. I mean, this game happened, it tipped off at noon or noon Eastern time, but in Central time, it tipped off at 11 o'clock, and the FedEx Forum was sold out compared to the Memphis Grizzlies game. The energy was just, there was no comparison. It was electric in there. Those Memphis fans love it when their Memphis Grizzlies are in, especially when the Vols are in town. Because, yeah, they'll cheer for the Vols, 
when there's nothing, there's no other rooting interest, but they love their Memphis Grizzlies basketball, and it was a great environment. It was a hornet's nest for the Vols, and the Vols were able to go in and get the win 102 to 92. A lot of points. Love the fact that Tennessee scored 100 points, over 100, but not happy that they gave up 92 points. But Admiral Schofield, now he has been the two time SEC player of the week. He had 29 points, 11 rebounds, and this one to go with his 30 points in the win over then number one Gonzaga. Grant Williams, 19 points, five assists, four rebounds. Jordan Bone, 17 points, 11 of those coming from the charity stripe. He was 11 of 12 with free throws. Jordan Bowden, 12 points. Kyle Alexander, almost a double-double, 10 points, nine rebounds, four blocks. The game, again, a hornet's nest of a game, 57 fouls called in this one. I mean, Vladi Divac found Memphis's flopping to be quite excessive, really. I mean, when you look at things, uh, and Tennessee took advantage of it when they were at the charity stripe, 39 of 46 uh for free throws. That was awesome for them. Of course, it wouldn't be a Tennessee Memphis game without some controversy and some hostility and everything going on there. When you look at it, you had right near the end of the game, the game was already done with Memphis made a three to cut it into the lead and give them maybe some hope. But then there was some trash talk between the Memphis players as they headed to the bench and then players had to be separated. There were technical fouls and things like that. So there was hostility. Of course, Penny Hardaway, the Memphis grad and now the coach of the Memphis Grizzlies said after the game that Tennessee players had come off the bench and had their fists balled ready to fight where all video evidence shows the contrary so he could say that it's wrong so but hey it's good to have them squawking I love that good hostility that's a rivalry that you need to have for Tennessee and Memphis in basketball. It's good for the state. It's good for the game. And the fact that that means I can't wait for them to play next season here in Thompson Bowling Arena. It's going to be an incredible atmosphere. And I think Memphis will be a better team. I think Penny Hardaway is great for Memphis basketball. I think he's going to bring just that pride back to that program. So that'll be amazing. And then in two years, they're playing the game in Nashville, but they're also looking to get all these other great basketball programs that Tennessee, the state of Tennessee has had in teams that have made the tournament. Belmont has been a tournament regular. You've got ETSU and UTC Chattanooga, all these other Tennessee programs, hopefully getting them into Nashville and playing these games. I think that could be wonderful for the state. MTSU has been solid as well. So you look at all of that stuff. I'm very excited to see it. And again, good to have that hostility in there and it's good as always as a Tennessee fan it's great to beat Tiger High and send the Tigers back into their den as Tennessee gets the win so that was awesome to see love it can't wait till uh, all this gets going and of course Tennessee's going to wrap up the year uh, we've got uh, on December 19th Tennessee is playing the Samford uh, University of Samford and then on December 22nd they're playing Wake Forest in an SEC ACC matchup and then Tennessee wraps up the year against Tennessee Tech all those games in Thompson Bowling Arena so if you're here in Knoxville check those out and then SEC play starts when the calendar turns to January they play Georgia to start the SEC slate on January 5th and then at Missouri on January 8th so very exciting times for the Vols looking forward 
to that. Meanwhile, the Lady Vols, tonight as of this recording, they're the 8th or ninth team, depending on which poll you look at, and they're playing the 8th or ninth ranked Stanford Cardinals. So one team's ranked 8th and one team ninth in one poll, and then they flip-flop in them. So you've got that one. That should be a great matchup, so check that out. Hopefully the Lady Vols getting the win in that one. And then the Lady Vols wrapping up their uh, holiday season against ETSU on December 21st, Murray State on December 28th, then December 30th versus Belmont, and then the SEC slate starts for the Lady Vols into the new year at Auburn and versus Missouri. So that's your Vol report as we wrap things up here in this first half of Modern Day Gladiators. We're actually going to kick off Shivels and Bits. We've got a quick little Shivels and Bits segment here. Get the Pink Panther pulled in. <laughs> Just one real quick story in Shibbles and Bits wanted to talk about real quick because this is something people need to hear about. Again, something good as the Pink Panther plays here. Sneaking Shibbles and Bits into the first half of the show. Always fun to have that here. But uh, we got to talk about Dikembe Mutombo. Many of you guys, uh, who especially my age, remember Dikembe Mutombo as shot blocker, extraordinaire, shaking, wagging his finger every time he made the block and going, no, 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 that big, deep voice that he has. But uh, retired NBA star Dikembe Mutombo, he uh, has a hospital in Congo that he helped build and pay for he paid to have it built there in congo so hats off to him for doing that but then what he did was he met this eight-year-old uh kid mutadi i believe is his name and the poor kid has this huge large tumor on his face and it's caused him to be shunned and made fun of by everybody in the area that he lives and just has to just hide at home which is just not things you want for little kids you want them to grow up no matter where they live and be able to be a kid at least a little bit so Dikembe Mutombo he has flown this kid from the Congo here uh flew him to Los Angeles where Dikembe Mutombo is and is uh paying for him to have this big uh tumor removed from his face and then the kid and his family are staying at the Ronald McDonald house there free of charge so no charge to the kid for any of this so hats off to uh, Dikembe Mutombo for doing some good things there in the world. So that's what we're talking about here on Shibbles and Bits as we fade it out. That's going to wrap up this half of Modern Day Gladiators. Thanks, you guys, for tuning in to the podcast. But we're going to take a quick break, but we're back with a big special guest here talking wrestling all second half. You're listening to the Modern Day Gladiators podcast here on the Stage Diver Radio Network. No, this is not an anime podcast. This is the entrance theme to Jushin Thunder Liger from New Japan. It could be an anime podcast, though. Oh, it could be, it absolutely be. I mean, we can sit here and talk Attack on Titan and some Dragon Ball Z. And- I have no idea what you just <laughs> said. I could definitely could not be a anime podcast with me here. Yes, but no, just was thinking of 
something outside the box to do for an intro to talk some uh, talk some wrestling. Uh, again, I am your humble host and glorious host, Michael Shibley here on Modern Day Gladiators, but I've got a special guest here in the studio. It's not Jushin Thunder Liger. We don't have the budget for that, but I've got the next best thing. I've got the commissioner here of the Stage Diver Radio Network, Mr. Mitch Wheeler, is in studio with me. Jushin Thunder Liger always sounded like a juicy thunderstorm to me. He did. He did. But I've got him as a... You rank masked wrestlers. Like, everybody here thinks Rey Mysterio. Jushin Thunder Liger I've got above him when it comes to just... I don't like Rey Mysterio Jr. I think he's entirely overrated. Yeah, he, he's, he looks a lot better than he did when he left the WWE originally. You yeah. know who I really liked? Uventude Guerrera. Uventude was really I good. I really loved Uventude. Yeah. And Jer- Jericho even mentioned he felt bad having to take the guy's mask like, yeah, back then. Yeah, I remember that. That was amazing. Some of the dumbest things WCW ever did was just start taking all the luchador's masks. Like, yes. they even took Ray's mask. Yeah, I remember distinctly. And then the WWE's made millions of dollars off selling Ray Mysterio's masks forever since then. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. putting it on. So, but yeah, I've got Mitch here because he is a huge wrestling fan, just like myself. And just kind of as uh, we fade out uh, Juice and Thunder Lager here, he can go, go away. But uh, we had. Just a great year in wrestling, so we just wanted to kind of talk about some of the stuff here with you, Mitch. Of course, TLC happened last night, What the and the main event was the ladder match between Asuka, Becky Lynch, and Charlotte Flair, which is amazing. They talked about, yeah, it was the first ever women's TLC match, like triple threat TLC match, but they never just made it a big deal on the show that it was main eventing the show, which I thought was great. It's the first tables, ladders, and chairs match among women? A triple threat oh. TLC match. Okay, well, now we're just splitting hairs. They are. They really are. WWE at this point, I think they're desperately trying to make it up to all the women on the roster, the two separate trips to Saudi Arabia. Yeah, I mean, that was the whole evolution pay-per-view. Yeah, was no, it was, that. hey, yeah. guys, sorry about these two times you're not even allowed to wrestle. Let alone be in the country. Aren't we so progressive right now? <laughs> As I said, blood money in the bank. Is, yes. Uh, those those uh, the Saudi Arabia uh, pay-per-views. But yeah, TLC happened. That was a great event. Uh, Ronda Rousey, uh, you had Becky Lynch and Charlotte fighting uh, for the belt on top of the ladder. And then Ronda Rousey, who had successfully defended against uh, Nia Jax earlier in the night, came out and shoved the ladder over, knocking uh, Charlotte and Becky Lynch off and allowing Asuka to climb up and claim the championship. So I hate Ronda Rousey. I can't stand her. I think she's a terrible wrestler. I think when she wrestles, it looks like she's going to hurt someone literally. And the other thing is that she wrestles like a heel. She has so far, yeah. She she she's got the she. It's almost like a Hulk Hogan syndrome, mm-hmm. where everybody loves her, but she works like a heel. Mm-hmm. Which means if she ever transfers over to being a pure heel, that just just like that would be great. Yeah, but I, I think you know her matches have been watchable. They haven't been terrible. I do. She's adapted to it very well. I think if you had to compare it to someone who has adapted as quickly really to being a star or at least carrying themselves like that, it was Kurt Angle. Like, Kurt Angle picked up on things very quickly back in the day. Yeah. I think Ronda Rousey has done very well for herself. And again, she's still got a lot to to go and go full on with this, but 
I'm very interested to see where it goes. Sure, I'm not, but that's cool. It's yeah. what makes it go round. Yep. But uh, <laughs> Daniel Bryan and AJ Styles retained. That was another really good match. The rest of it, I could take it or leave it. These four and a half hour events that they do are just so long now. Yeah, I mean, they really are. And that's the issue. I was talking with my wife the other day because she's watched some of these with me. She's been very nice and lovely enough to you know, <laughs> right. humor me with some of these things, but. I was noticing this. They're longer than UT football games. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. When you've got people with these short attention spans, yeah, they've got different matches, but the event itself is longer than a football game, way longer than a basketball or soccer game. By the second hour, you're already drunk. Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, it's like, man, I, I don't have – like, this is my entire Sunday, mm-hmm. you know? It's real. I, and I also think that it, it takes away from the specialness of it. Yeah. I think that having so many pay-per-views and making them so long takes away from what the pay-per-view is actually supposed to do, mm-hmm. and that's to resolve issues, tie up loose ends, and set up new storylines or to set up for the next yep. uh, event. Well, yeah, the next uh, chapter in mm-hmm. a storyline. Yeah. Like, it, you know, the whole reason that pay-per-views were made is because they were to get all the people in this one thing for this one match. Yeah. You know, it was like, Ric Flair is in town. We're going to watch him wrestle yeah. now against Ricky Steamboat, and then it's going to end. Mm-hmm. And it's going to end with Ric Flair cheating, so there's no thing. So then you have to wait three more months before this. And so that's how the pay-per-view yeah. thing came, and now it's... Every two weeks, you got you know four hours worth of wrestling, but you just had four hours of wrestling during the week, more than four hours of wrestling. Yeah. You got five because Raw's three, and then SmackDown's two, and then if you watch NXT, that's but six, it, yeah, but two hundred five live—that's another hour. I mean, not the to, mixed match challenge, which it's it's ugh. so much, mm-hmm. it's almost overwhelming in how much wrestling you can get. And, you know, there was a point where I was a kid where I was like, I want more. I can't get enough. And now that I have it, I'm like, please stop. I can't keep up. I don't have this much time in my life. And these TLC, uh, TLC was just the latest line in this, too, because there was at least probably four or five matches on this card that just didn't need to be there. Mm -hmm. Like, they could have cut those matches and then not made any of the other matches longer, and then that would save you an hour right there or pretty yeah. darn close to it. I've seen some really strange match choices, like some title matches that were done during pre-shows and yeah. uh, other title matches that were just completely overlooked or not involved. It was really, really strange. It's strange to see the the booking. Yeah, and the fact that pretty much the uh, the cruiserweight championship is just on the pre-show most of the time. The mm-hmm. only time it hasn't been lately was Survivor Series, where they had Buddy Murphy and Mustafa Ali in it, and they did great. It was a great match. It was mm-hmm. one of the best matches of the card. But now they're back on the pre-show, and there's a bunch of this like the tables match between Natalia and Ruby Riot. It was like, first of all, it was that sounds horrible. It was it was not great, and it was. It was like 12 minutes long. It's like there's no need for that match to be 12 minutes long. No. No, so. there's no reason for that match to be there. Yeah. I mean, I mean there's so many other matches that you could do. Mm-hmm. I think it was um, – I want to say it was either Money in the Bank or Extreme Rules. I could be wrong on that. Maybe even SummerSlam. But it was a tag championship match. It was the Raw tag championship yeah. match. And I'm like, why, why is this here? People, I'm I'm looking at people wearing B team shirts, 
and it was just it's, it's really just strange. The, yeah. I, I'm sure we didn't want to complain the whole time. No, 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 no. That, that was one of the things I just wanted to talk real quick because uh, Vince, of course, showed up on Raw last night. That was a big thing they made because ratings have been in the toilet. For a good reason. They have been, God yeah. damn it. <laughs> and Vince has shown up to shake things up on Raw, which mostly meant they've got rid of Baron Corbin. Of course, he couldn't be general manager last uh, on on TLC, and then, of course, he asked for one more chance, and that didn't happen, and all this other shenanigans that I won't get into here. I enjoyed Baron Corbin as general manager. See, I, the problem I had with it was the fact that it was he was in, in every segment. Yeah, that like, was troublesome. That's that's one of the issues. I mean, Vince, as he this has happened in the past, and I wasn't surprised because everybody's like, oh, what could be going on? You know, what's going to happen? Vince's solution every time they need to change things up is just to in, in, no, introduce more McMahons into the situation. Oh, no. So Vince, Shane, Stephanie, and Triple H were all out there saying, you know, we're going to get rid of middle management. We're going to, we're in charge now. So. That, that, and that's not the issue. The issue, mm-hmm. and I talked about this a couple times here on the podcast, was the fact that you had back in the day, and I'm just using the WWF, WWE for an example, you had Hulk Hogan on top. He was the top guy. And people knew if he's coming to your town, or Macho Man Randy Savage, some big star was coming to your town, you're going to pay money because I want to see that guy. Mm-hmm. You know, Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock are coming to your town. Well, I'm going to give you my hard-earned money to see them. Yeah. Even to a little bit lesser extent, John Cena was coming to your town. Mm-hmm. And then they tried that with Roman Reigns because now they they almost don't want anybody to be bigger than the brand itself. Right. They did So even with Roman Reigns as their top guy, but now he's got leukemia, so he's gone for a while. Well, they they ran Roman into the ground and that and was And then he did, yeah. And that was that was a big problem with me. Like I Roman never got over for me because I di- I couldn't care less. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're going to defend the championship every night? Then why do I have to watch a pay-per-view? Yeah. Like what what are you trying to prove? If you've defeated it and you've defended it against everybody, then you're no better than Bill Goldberg when he has to get tased to lose the title. <laughs> You know, I mean, it, it, you set it up like that, and that was one of the things that I liked about Brock. You don't have to defend the title on Raw. Please don't. Yeah. You, but you need to be there occasionally. See, that was the thing. Brock but, is never there, so the fact right. that once Roman Reigns left, and I was like, even though the stupid, we can talk about the Saudi Arabia stuff, the fact that it was going to be you know, Braun Strowman and Brock there for the title, you could have, it would have been a great thing to just pass the torch and had someone else you know, get through the glass ceiling and be a champion mm-hmm. and have that with Braun Strowman. And I'm very doubtful that that's going to happen at the Royal Rumble because since Braun Strowman beat Baron Corbin at the at TLC, he's got himself a title match again with Brock Lesnar at the Royal Rumble. So we'll see where that goes. But the fact that just Brock isn't there at all, like he barely shows up on TV. And I mean, hey, he's held them up for more money. I don't mean to discredit the women's title when yeah. I say this, but when you, when you, the two largest individuals in the company are not the main event, mm-hmm. there's a problem. Yeah, like nobody cares about that belt, right? Because it's it's just been crapped on it, for it too is. long. And I mean, we could talk about all the other things. You should. I, I would think you'd shorten the shows. That's why NXT is so great too, because we mm-hmm. don't see you don't see Alistair Black or Johnny Gargano or Tommaso Ciampa. You don't see them wrestle every week, right? 
No, it's, absolutely. You have all these. And so when you do see them wrestle, it's special. Mm-hmm. And it goes back to that having so much saturation and so much content. It's like, let me marinate on some of yeah. this. You're not even taking the time to develop new talent. You're running through them left and right, putting them up against these big guys. Yep. But when you look at it, and again, people are already saying, you know, Raw was just so much more of the same. Yeah, there was some different stuff, but there was a lot of the same. And it's like, okay, they're not going to go full on change right before the holidays here. They're not going to, you know, Christmas. I mean, they're not going to change. The Raw has yeah. been the same for six, seven years. Yeah. I mean, I, the format, everything about it. But I'm hoping. Obviously, what Vince is trying to do is capture that Stone Cold, the McMahons versus the world thing. Yeah. And it's... Which is getting tiresome at this point. You know, I'd almost get rid of authority figures. But I was I made the good comparison. This is what I was just thinking. It, it was, it's an old Simpsons res, uh, reference. It's Malibu Stacy with a new hat. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much it. You know, yeah. It's the same thing, but she's got a new hat. Right. <laughs> That's, right. There's not been any major innovation or breakthroughs or or anything like that. It's yeah. it's very tiresome and and mundane yeah. at this point. And I I mean I again, we're complaining. Uh there has been some really good stuff and a lot of great mm-hmm. character development. I yeah. really fell in love with the B team. Yep. That was so good and so fun, especially when they got that new music. It was it sold it for me. <laughs> it's great stuff. And yeah, there's a lot of great things. I mean, this overall the product all over was probably one of the best years in wrestling, like top to bottom. And we'll see what happens, especially with the WWE, as we move into 2019 with the new TV deal that they've got with Ross on USA and SmackDown moving over to Fox. So we'll have to see where that ends up with everything. I hope it's good. Yeah. I think it will be good. I think it is. Is it staying on Tuesday nights? Yeah, it's staying on. Uh, no, it's moving back to Friday. Because okay. Fox is wanting, what you look at is Fox is wanting to have, as they moved away from a lot of original like programming, they want a big sports lineup. So Because yeah. they're, they're going to get Thursday night football. They've got Thursday night got Thursday, NFL. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Yeah, and then so in the fall, then you've got Friday, SmackDown. You've got college football on Saturday, and then you've got NFL football on Sunday. So they're just loading it with sports, which I think is a good route for them to go. Yeah, and I think putting, I think that Fox is way more accessible, so that's going to be good for Mm -hmm. WWE um, as far as more exposure. Mm -hmm. People without cable are going to be able to access it. Exactly. So So that's good. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. But when we look back at this year, I mean, what a great year in wrestling. It was the quality of matches. And I'm, I'm talking, of course, WWE had some great, mostly in NXT when you talk about great matches. Mm-hmm. But then New Japan had some just amazing things, too. Yeah. Um, and then just all these, in, you know, the independent scene has come great. I mean, one of my highlights of the year was All In. The, what the, the Young Bucks and, uh, and Cody Rhodes got together. There's a bet from old uh, wrestling critic Dave Meltzer said, you know, there had never been a, a 10,000 seat sellout from something other than WWE since WCW folded. And Cody Rhodes is like, I'll take that bet. And then they sold out the uh, the arena in Chicago. Yeah. 11,000 people. Yeah, and, the indies are blowing up. Yeah. And I think that that goes back to what we've been talking about. The fact that we sat here and complained about all the things wrong with WWE and the stale product mm-hmm. and, and all the oversaturation, which is redundant and it's supposed to just be saturation. But 
people are going to the Indies. They're going to Jakara yep. and they're going to New Japan mm-hmm. and they're going elsewhere to find new and exciting things that are different and yep. unusual and aren't the same thing. People that are actually in it because that's what they want to do. Mm-hmm. You know, it's almost like college versus pro football. Yeah. To an extent. And there's those people out there that are like, I don't like the NFL. It's a bunch of old whiny bitches trying not to get hurt. And then you've got the people that are like, I like the pro guys because they play harder. Yep. You know, it's just, it's that difference. But I think that's why the Indies are getting so big is mm-hmm. because more and more people are going, oh, that's, that's interesting. That's different. Yep. I, um, and it started for me too this year when I saw start at the end of 2017 when Chris Jericho challenged Kenny Omega in New Japan to the match at Wrestle Kingdom, which is their big WrestleMania mm-hmm. event and happening January 4th in the Tokyo Dome. Can't wait for this next one Kenny Omega versus Hiroshi Tanahashi for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. And, uh, and Chris Jericho and Kenny Omega last year killed it at Wrestle Kingdom. That was just a five star mm-hmm. match, it was amazing. And you have all these options, and I bought a subscription. I've had it all year long for 999 yen, uh, a subscription <laughs> to New Japan World. It's great. It shows up on PayPal as 999 yen, which That's is awesome. It's like nine bucks on the exchange. I kind of want to do that just so I can show off and be like, yeah, just had to make a payment in yen. Mm-hmm. Of course, my credit card company was like, are you sure you're the one making this payment? <laughs> yes. Yes, I am. Yes. Um, so, but you talk about like my match of the year, you talk Kenny Omega, it was at the Dominion show in June, uh, this past year, Kenny Omega, Kazuchika Okada, two out of three falls for the IWGP championship was a thing of beauty. It was amazing. The story they were able to tell and they wrestled for over an hour. So it's not, especially for everybody, but for yeah. big wrestling guys like me who've watched these matches. And you that watch, doesn't happen now. You know, Flair Steamboat from like 89. Doing that Broadway. And things like that. Oh, I loved it. It was just a thing of beauty and the fact that like Okada got the first fall and Kenny Omega had to beat Okada twice in a row, which he had never done, like in their series of everything. And Kenny finally winning the championship was amazing. But yeah. then, I mean, New Japan has been killing it. The show of the year for me was Wrestle Kingdom 12. Um, How many pay-per-views do they have? They do one about every month. They kind of, they have a different type of touring schedule. So yeah. it's not, they don't have yeah, like yeah. a weekly TV show or anything like that. They have tours. So, and then they do a lot of live events. And I most love of them, that. They're all the territory days all over all, again, man. I love that. Almost. And one thing they don't do, too, is they don't do immediate rematches. So, like, you you take a look at, I'm going back to Wrestle Kingdom 11. So this was two years ago, January 4th, 2016. Kenny Omega and Okada meet for their first match ever. But they didn't, like, at the next thing that they had in late January or into early February, they didn't wrestle again for the title. They waited until Dominion of or dominion of 2017 so it was uh wrestle kingdom 2017 and then dominion 2017 so it was six months in between and then they had another one in the g1 climax which was a different tournament it's a round robin tournament which right. is great the wwe could never do it because they don't have the attention span the writers could never figure it out just look at the mix mass challenge and what they did so but even omega was thinking that was too soon to have the second match Meanwhile, with the WWE, these guys wrestle four pay-per-views in a row, and by the point, I'm tired of it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think uh, I took a break from wrestling uh, for s- several, several years. 
Uh, and it was around the time that Chris Benoit, Shawn Michaels, and Triple H were doing the triple threat match yeah. for the title. And they were doing it at every effing pay-per-view. Every effing pay-per-view ended up being a triple threat match. Yeah. Then they were doing it on Raw, and I'm like, I'm so sick mm-hmm. of seeing this same match. That's probably why I got so tired of John Cena is because I, it was the same yeah. pay-per-view over and over. Roman Reigns getting beat four times by Brock Lesnar mm-hmm. in a row. Yeah. And it's like, bro, you look like a bitch. Yep. Like you don't even like people are booing you because you've got your ass handed to you four times in a row and you're still crying about it. And we're bored. Yep. I'm done with it. Bring something new in. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. But I, I, my point with that rant was, I agree with you, Michael. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Cause my biggest, you talk about, again, one of the things that you see that with the WWE compared, I'm just going to use new Japan cause I've been watching a lot of it. So, but what it is, is like at re- Go back more Wrestle Kingdoms because this is what got so many people to pay attention to Shinsuke Nakamura mm-hmm. was his stuff in New Japan. When he yeah. and AJ Styles had an amazing match at Wrestle Kingdom 10, it was a thing of beauty. And they didn't do it the next night. And they didn't do it the next night. They didn't do it again and ever because they both went to the WWE, but they stayed away from each other until Nakamura won the Royal Rumble this last year and then challenged him at WrestleMania. And that match didn't really live up to the hype. I don't know. They just... I don't think they had enough time, different things. But then they kept doing it the next four months. They did it the very next night on SmackDown. Not the next night, but but you know what I'm saying. They did it at the Greatest Royal Rumble, and then they did it again at the next event. And they they even did it on SmackDowns. Yeah. They've done it on at least two episodes of SmackDown, and I'm going, why? Yeah. Why are you taking this pay-per-view match and... And diminishing the value of it. Yeah. I mean, that's what people don't seem to understand. It doesn't feel like the WWE understands at this point. The superstars themselves are not necessarily the currency. It's the matches. Yeah. That's your goal. Yeah. You know, that's that's where the value is, is in the actual match. I don't care. Like, you look at Chris Masters, who had a great body and a great look, great entrance, couldn't wrestle or talk or shit. Yeah. And he didn't last long. No. It's the match quality. It, it's the staying power with the audience. And again, I'm just I'm gonna beat the New Japan. I'm just gonna keep beating the New Japan drum. Yeah, but, you keep doing that, and I'll yeah. keep saying why wow, that's better than WWE. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like, and, you and look, I'm not even trying. That's yeah. not my goal with this. Uh, I am yeah. kind of disgruntled at this point as a fan. <laughs> uh, so I, I am uh, I'm more negative than I want to be. I yeah. still love wrestling. Let me say that. But I am I am very frustrated with the product right now. Exactly, and I and I am too with a lot of that, and that's why I have this release with New Japan, but you look at, say, again, I'm using the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. It was defended. It was uh, Kazuchika Okada versus Tetsuya Naito for the championship at Wrestle Kingdom in January, and then Okada's next opponent in the next big event that they had was a guy named Sonata, who was very good. It was a very good match, and then he didn't really defend, and then he defended it against his old rival Hiroshi Tanahashi at the next big event. And then the next one was against Kenny Omega. So they finally got back together. Mm-hmm. They hadn't wrestled since August the previous year. And then Omega won the championship, and then he defended the championship against Tomohiro Ishii in a great match. And again, these are all great matches. None of these are bad matches mm-hmm. either. They're all five-star quality matches. And then uh, after that, he defended it against his good friend and golden lover, uh, tag team partner, Kota Ibushi. 
So those were the defenses of that title at the big events. It was never the same rematch mm-hmm. of any right. of these. So right. You're not beating a dead horse. <laughs> right. <laughs> so. But there. Um, but you talk and going in. My favorite, I think, really, when you look at it, too, the show of the year, I said Wrestle Kingdom 12. and the WWE, it was either Survivor Series for the matches at the end or Evolution. I enjoyed it because, one, it was different with the women. I liked that. But it was shorter. It was like almost, it was like three hours. Yeah. Which was great, too. That's that's what it should be. Mm-hmm. I honestly There's think... There's only like six matches on I it. I think that Raw is too long, and I think that the pay-per-views are too long. That's my personal opinion. But again, I'm, I'm just a little bit disgruntled. Yeah. I just... I'm not getting what I want. I'm getting what Vince wants me to get. Yeah. That's what it feels like. Mm-hmm. I'm just getting the bare minimum yeah. at this point. And we'll see if they change. I doubt it's going to be much of a change, but we'll... When yeah. I heard he was coming on Raw, I immediately thought there was going to be a draft, <laughs> but it, because that, that seems yeah. pretty standard, too. But then I yeah. thought, well, that won't happen until after WrestleMania. Yeah, they're calling they're calling up some more NXT stars. Uh, Lars Sullivan, was, they've been saying for about a month, is coming up. Uh, EC3 is going to be there, uh, Heavy Machinery, the tag team, and then two ladies, Nikki Cross, and then Lacey Evans, who, you know, Nikki Cross has been in main events and different things, and I love her insane chick personality. Lacey Evans was in the May Young tournament. She's done some stuff, but she hasn't been like a top, top uh, lady on in NXT, so it'll be interesting to see. She's got a good look, and she's got the women's right, is her just big right-hand knockout punch. So it'll be interesting to see how she transfers. Again, you don't need to be a main event star. Like, look what Alexa Bliss did back in NXT compared to now being the one of the top stars. But on when Raw. do we get Velveteen Dream? I don't know, but uh, I'm really interested to see. I love the Velveteen Dream. I do too. He's great. He's definitely one of my like wrestlers of the year when it came to just performancing. Oh yeah, my wrestler of the year is Kenny Omega because again, he delivers the best bout machine as he calls himself. You watch anything he's done in New Japan over the last couple of years, and then the matches he had with Chris Jericho, Kazuchika Okada, Kota Ibushi, uh, the Young Bucks when he was fighting them, Cody Rhodes. Every match was just a wonderful classic with Kenny Omega. But Velveteen Dream, every NXT takeover was just wonderful. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, NXT, all the takeovers were great. I mean... all of the takeovers were better than anything the WWE put yes, on. You're absolutely overall. right. You're a hundred percent right. Yeah. And then my favorite storyline of the year uh, was the Johnny Gargano Tommaso Ciampa series that they yeah. had. That was just amazing. Just the 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 vile hatred of yeah. it. It seemed like, and the fact that these guys just went out there and, and beat the tar of each other and had different styles of matches mm-hmm. too. My favorite was the unsanctioned match, the first one that they had in this trilogy of takeovers that they had with it. Well, it, it would have been impressive if they did a loser eats dog food match. That that yeah. would have really been impressive <laughs> and put it over there. That would have been a good '80s territory days back I, in the day. Oh man, I would love to see that kind of shit come back. That made me so happy just to see like a coal miner's glove match, you know, or. <laughs> Four four post match or yeah. whatever something on a pole. Of course, that got done to WCW to the death. Yeah, you know, that's we, true. We don't want to see a uh, 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 Buff Bagwell's mom on a forklift match or whatever they had <laughs> by know. the end of that. That was <laughs> sounds pretty awesome. <laughs> uh, it was not. It was not. Sometimes it's hard to be a wrestling fan. Those are you know when when y- yeah you you're right. Tell people you're a wrestling fan and they see those instances. It's tough. 
It's but then when you've got stuff like Macho Man, Macho Savage getting back to get Randy Savage getting back together with Miss Elizabeth, I'll put that up against any uh, on an emotional level. I'll put that up against anything. This is us has shown. Yeah, or anytime. Jerry Lawler in a shark cage hung above the roof. Yeah, when his nose starts bleeding, like you could feel the terror. Mm-hmm. I'm being so sarcastic right now. It's <laughs> a good time. First, yeah, Shawn Michaels super kicking Ric Flair to send him into retirement. We're ignoring the TNA days. But, you know, I mean, yeah. I'll, I'll put those stuff up against anything. When wrestling's great, it's great. When it's bad, whew, it's yeah, it's tough. But uh, that's. I think we are out of time, Mitch. But thank you for coming on and uh, just helping me dissect some of this yeah, stuff. Yeah, man. It was fun. I think I'm going to go play WWE 2K19 now. That's good. Excellent. But again, this has been Modern Day Gladiators. We are taking a break for the holidays, but we'll be back in January bigger and badder than ever. As always, we're going to keep bringing the awesomeness to the show. And again, I am Michael Shibley for Mitch Wheeler. This is Modern Day Gladiators on the Stage Diver radio network didn't you say you're gonna hang me from the uh, shark cage above the studio we should do that that should be fun that would be great